Welcome to Thunder Nerds. I'm Brian Hinton. I'm Vincent Tang. And I'm Frederick Weiss. And you are consuming the... Thanks for watching the show. Really appreciate you joining us today. We have amazing guests. So without any ados being furthered, let's get to them. We have advisor, VP, head of design platform at Atlassian, Zach Gottlieb. Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really happy to have you, Zach. Zach, uh, before we jump into everything, do you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I can tell you a little bit about my, my role at Atlassian and a little bit, uh, I guess, kind of how I got there is, um, you know, like many of the designers of today that have been around for a while, it's kind of been a non-traditional path. Uh, I, I played in product. I played in design. I'm pretty much self-taught. No, uh, no formal design education uh, that, I, that, that I can mention. Um, and, you know, my daily role here at Atlassian is uh, head of design for platform. Uh, kind of goes up and down the stack. I spend a ton of time. Uh, it's a really big organization. I'm responsible for 200 plus designers um, and their work in the platform. It's about, I think it's around a little more than 2,000 people total. And I uh, have a, a partner in product and Eng, and just working up and down the stack, making sure that one, we're delivering on our business goals. Two, we're delivering on those business goals with the customer in mind. And um, and making, you know, always making sure that the customer is kind of at the forefront of, of the conversations we're having and, and balancing with the business. So um, it does go up and down the stack. I like to spend time with the, the designers as well. I find that, uh, you know, you can't really be a, a great head of design if you don't actually understand what's happening on the ground. And so that's been one of my philosophies is I try to spend as much time as I can with the teams as well as my, uh, as my, as well as my partners. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of my, uh, my day to day. Now I'm I'm curious. Oh, I'm curious if uh, you have our the traditional bet we always have is way way back when you first started. What was <laughs> what was the thing that got you doing any sort of design in the first place? Yeah, here we go. Uh, so I actually grew up in a family who was surrounded by design. My dad was a professional photographer uh, here in Silicon Valley and and shot many of the the products and the the, the tech and the in the you know the 70s all the way through the 90s my mom worked in design and uh, she worked at meta design with a well-known design firm uh, and i was determined not to go into design it was a hard hard <laughs> you know, it, seriously it's like at the time were, were you like you wanted to be a doctor time. you're like i want to be a doctor and a lawyer i don't want to do design <laughs> close enough uh i actually i went to originally i was gonna i went to uc davis as a uh, i went on a, to study genetics my plan was get a degree in genetics go to law school, open a, a, a law firm focused on genetic law. And I was like, that's going to be the hot thing. <laughs> wow. wow. And so what ended up happening is I got to UC Davis, you know, very, very heavy science-based uh, school. And they weeded me out in the first like year. And they didn't need, a, I didn't need a whole lot of weeding out. Uh, I was like, this isn't fun. I'm not, you know, like, I don't want to be a researcher. I don't like, this is not the thing that's driving me. Oh, I'll just, you know, okay, I'll go be a lawyer. And so I, you know, I, then I went and did political science and I realized I started thinking about it. And I just, I just said, you know what? I don't think I want to be a lawyer. Like the idea of going to work every day and having to be antagonistic conversations with someone across, like there's always a deal happening. You're, oh, it's there. There's, if you're not being collaborative. Right. Um, and I got super lucky. I ended up taking a class in uh, my first upper division class at 
at Davis um, for poli sci was this international environmental law. And I, it was, this is like, I'm going to date myself, but this is like 94, 95. And, and uh, Yahoo was still, was still being hosted at stanford.edu. And the teacher, I walk in the first day and he says, there's no papers, there's no tests. You're going to get email addresses and you're going to build web, web pages. And everybody looked around like, web pages? <laughs> what is he talking about? And, you know, I remember building my first web page and like my first index.html, right? And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, I totally get this. Like this is, you know, I just saw it was with such incredible clarity because I loved design. I just didn't think I could make a living at it. But it was something I was always cared about. Um, and I saw, wow, this is going to be big, right? Like this, the amount of communication, the, the, the connectivity that we're going to have. And I remember it was just immediate. And then I just, you know, like lots of other people, I, I got myself, a, you know, a cracked version of Photoshop. And I sat in a basement over the summer, I remember, and, and just cranked at Photoshop for an entire summer, just trying to figure it out. And that was kind of, that was kind of it. And then... You know, it's turned into, I've just gotten incredibly lucky and I keep, you know, I've really kept pushing at it and I've managed to make a real career out of it. Besides the Photoshop police coming after you at, at the time in the 90s, how, what, what propelled you to learn this to, a, after that point, you learn HTML, you're playing with Photoshop. How did you propel your career forward to the point where you are now? Speaking from the perspective of maybe someone in the audience that's watching that says, you know, I would like to get to that point in my career. How do I uh, become a VP of design platform at Atlassian? Yeah, well, I didn't set out to, to become the VP. That was never my goal, but you know, just sure. taking a step back, uh, I think part of what I did was I just had a passion for it and I just, I didn't know what exactly what I was going to do with it. I just knew there was a future there. I didn't have a sense of, I mean, this is back in the day, like no one was even talking about this, um, let alone talking about careers in the web when I was still in college. Um, it was kind of this, you know, there was, uh, it was, there was little hints and things around. You could get a few books here and there, but there wasn't a whole lot. Um, and it was just the passion of playing with stuff and the passion of creating things. And through that, I got connected with, a number of people, I, I got really lucky. I connected with some folks in college and they introduced me. There was a small little department at the school that was working on internet stuff and posting things from the school on internet. And then I met some other folks in the graphic design group at the school. There was, you know, the student graphics group and um, and just made a lot of connections and we kind of built it from there. And, and I got really lucky uh, when I got out of school. Uh, I remember I just was, I was super, super hungry and uh, got lucky had a connection at, at, at this place called Adjacency, which is uh, was this company I really, really, really wanted to work for. Even back in college, there was a they had written a book, and they were putting all these really amazing media sites together for big brands. And I remember I just walked in, and they they you know they were nice enough to give me an opportunity to at least come in and meet with them. And I said, I'll do anything. I don't care what it is. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just give me an opportunity. And they gave me an internship, and they hired me two two months later. And I mean, it was incredible. I, I started, the first thing I started working on was the Virgin Megastore. I was putting like the entire Virgin catalog. They were, at the time it was creating the, you know, the competitor CD now and doing all this, this cool <laughs> stuff with these cool brands. And it was like, I couldn't believe I was you know, getting to do that stuff. And it came down to passion. I just, I loved it. It was super fun. It was a lot of hard work, but you know, again, it comes down to 
uh, people gave me the opportunity and, and I ran with it and no. I've just, I've gotten lucky throughout my career doing that kind of stuff. Go ahead, Vincent. Oh, so, uh, since your start as a designer, not that you had a design, but was it challenging for you to learn how to manage people or manage teams or, uh, manage just like, again, like the 200 designers that you have on staff as well as like product vision, like how has that transition transition been? in terms of like new things you had to learn along the way. Yeah, I've had 20 years to do it. So it hasn't felt like it's such a, an abrupt thing. And I've learned different things along the way. Um, early on, I, when I walked in the door, my first first job, and they asked me what I wanted to do, I, I didn't say I wanted to be a designer. I said, I want to be the guy who's kind of figuring out what we're going to do. And I have a I have a team and I help that team actually accomplish those things. Um, and I didn't, they're like, well, that's project management or creative lead. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, it was only, but, you know, back in the day, you kind of did everything. Like, it didn't matter what your title was. I was hacking Flash and hacking HTML and, and Photoshop and doing all those things. Um, you know, as far as leading the team, you know, leading people, I always just had a passion for it. I like working with people. Um, and I've always been enamored. I'm not the greatest designer in the world. Never have been. I know that. I know what my strengths are. I'm good. And I have great taste, but my strength is recognizing talent in other people. And, you know, that's always been the thing is just put me in a room with the most talented people that want to create stuff and I will help them do it. And so it's never, you know, the, the managing of people has never really been intimidating. I think, you know, that there's always the, when you have to manage people out, right. That like the first time you have to do things like that, they're uncomfortable. And, you know, it's not the thing that you signed up for. Um, those are always learning curves, right? Those are the things that we all have to learn somehow, some way. Um, but then I think, you know, when you talk about the scale going from, you know, 200 plus people now, I think the hardest point was getting over 50. Cause I think going from 25 mm -hmm. to 50 was like, oh my God, at 25, I was like, wow, I got a lot of people to be responsible for. And I, but I still knew everybody, right. And I still had connection. And then you get to 50 and it's like, wow, that's a pretty big shift. I just doubled. And then I think there's a shift when you get from 50 and beyond, you start to, it, it starts to feel it's less, I, I think it's less abrupt and you kind of have a sense of these are the things I need to do to build a really good organization. And it doesn't change that much uh, when, as you know, it gets bigger. I think, look, if I had to run a 500 person organization, it'd probably be a very different thing. And I, and you know, it will grow to that eventually. But it's not the thing that keeps me up at night. The things that keep me up at night are, you know, are my teams happy? Am I putting environments in place that people can do their best work? I, I'm curious. Uh, we're in a similar situation. When I joined three years ago, we're at 18 now. We're uh, got 80 plus and planning to be over 100, I think, by the end of the year. Um, do you still have one-on-ones with all 500 or, or how, how does that work for you now at this point that the scale is so large? Like how do you retain those connections? Yeah. Uh, it's definitely getting harder. So uh, my organization scaled, I've been at Atlassian for about two and a half years. And when I joined, it was about, I was responsible for about 40 people. And so it scaled pretty quickly. Uh, I don't do one-on-ones with everybody anymore. What I try to do now is because it's just I, I don't have the time. Um, and by the time I got finished with one round, I have to go, you know, it would have been six months. So what I try to do is actually spend more time with teams. I still do have one on ones and I, and I do skip levels with a lot of the managers. 
um, and a lot of the the really senior ICs, especially just to get a sense of what's going on in the on the on the day to day. But I do uh, I do meetings with or, or uh, group you know group listening sessions, and I try to do those. I, I, I try to roll those on a on a pretty consistent cadence, um, so that I am talking to you know it could be five to eight designers um, at a time, and just you know trying to make a connection that way. Um, that's you know, that's, that's the best I can do right now. And um, yeah, and then also, as we kind of started to open back up, I know we want to talk about uh, remote work, but as, as things have started to open up a little bit more, just making myself more available that, hey, I'm going to be at this place. If anybody wants to come meet me, let's get together. So those are the kind of ways that I, I keep connection. Excellent. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and get now to our Main topic, if you will, which is the great resignation or the big quit, as some people have coined it, within side specifically uh, the tech industry. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And needless to say, the great resignation really distributed the technology uh, or disrupted rather, excuse me, the, the technology industry um, in 2021 alone seems that more than 41 million Americans quit their job, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, uh, the most resignations on record. And the great resignation has not slowed in 2022. We'll uh, dive into the nuance of all these things in a bit, but I want to ask you what's your general thoughts on this at a very high level? And we'll start with you, obviously, Zach. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the uh, the statistics reflect, you know, the truth. There's a lot of people moving around um, for a number of different reasons, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a super hot job market, and um, people have the ability to move like they've never done before. You know, I think the the thing that the pandemic has done is it kind of pushed us forward about ten years. We were really uncomfortable. We were, you know, it's like we should we we'd be ready in ten years, and it sped everything up. And what it's really done is just it's drawn everybody in, in a weird way. Everything's closer and more available. So people just have this ability to move around more. And I think it's also highlighting, um, you know, we've got this pressure cooker that people have been in for the last, you know, two plus years. And people are just looking to make whatever change is possible, whether it's, you know, do I need to make change in my in my life, my work life? Is that what's causing me, you know, distress or problems or are there other things? So I think it's happening for a variety of reasons, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely happening. We see it daily. We see it in the, you know, we, we see it in the headlines and uh, we see it in, you know, all the leaders I talk to. It's, it's one of the things that's kind of top of mind for sure. Um, so at Atlassian, do they, are you required to go back to the office at all? Or was there any incentive for that? I know for different companies like PwC or Johnson Johnson, they require employees to be, you know, present at the office for a few days of the week. Yeah, um, we Atlassian's really unique. Uh, very early on, our founders decided to create something called Team Anywhere, and so no, we're not required to go back to the office ever. In fact, uh, the reason they've yeah. they've pushed Team Anywhere forward is we want to be able to recruit anywhere in the world. There's great talent everywhere, right? Not just in these little pockets, but anywhere, and so. Uh, very early on, they said, "Nope, you don't need to go back to the office. In fact, we're we're going to make this our, you know, how we're going to do business going forward." And you know, and to the to the credit of the team, uh, 
I think since the pandemic, we've hired 30% of people are now uh, more than two and a half hours away from an Atlassian office. And certainly we have rules in place, right? We, we need to, you know, you can't be out of a time zone, you know, can't be 12 hours away from your core team uh, from a time zone perspective. So we have things in place, but um, yeah, they were really clear about that. And I think it's been, it's been really good. I believe you're, you're muted, muted, Brian. Muted. <laughs> Welcome to remote. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did that on purpose just so that we could show the example of what occurred. Excellent example. Good. Great, great. Well great. done, Brian. <laughs> um, what, what were, were there any struggles though during, uh, throughout 2020, as far as like the pe people changing the remote, what was that like? How did y'all handle it? Um, you know, highlight any any specific things at all? Yeah, it's just, um, I think we all went through, you know, a pretty enormous challenges. And I think that, um, at least for myself, when I look across, I've got teams, I've got people everywhere from Austin to the West Coast, to India, to Poland, to Sydney. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty much around the world. And I think the challenges, you know, as we've we've done this is, how do you create the connection, right? We're all kind of, everybody is in this place and everybody's got their own experiences that they were having at that time. So, um, you know, I remember the, the surge in India happening and you just have to, you know, and, and talking to the teams and, and the things that were going on there. And then it happened, you know, it's happening in Sydney and um, it was, it's really, it's just been challenging. Right. And I think, you know, getting back to that idea of being connected, it's been really, really hard, especially, you know, all of a sudden you, you went from, uh, spending 12 hours plus on a zoom call and you know and then also thinking about the challenges that people have i i, I have an i have a house that i actually have space i can i can do my calls but what happens when you have people that uh don't have that space right you have people you have a couple that's living in a, in a studio they're breaking up in the middle of a pandemic everybody's stressed out right so these the the combination of our work life and our personal life have combined in such a way that we We've still been trying to untangle that. And then I think the other piece I, I'm sure we'll touch on is just the burnout. How do you avoid the burnout? Because when there's nothing to do except work, that's that doesn't promote a really healthy lifestyle uh, and, and one that's going to have a lot of longevity to it. Yeah, I think a lot of us started working more hours with the remote schedule. We took it upon ourselves to take more in and boundaries were uh, kind of hard to delineate, which brings me to one of my uh, more interesting questions here that I want to ask you about is uh, the incentive. So COVID-19 and the resulting shift in remote work has rendered many of these pre-pandemic hiring perks and benefits obsolete. They are no longer resonate for the remote worker. Things like in-office snacks, meals, gym memberships, corporate outings. But there are the people, as you cited, that, you know, might live in a one bedroom apartment with, you know, a, a group of people that do want to go to an office that do want to get out. But that being said, is there any type of incentive that would make the remote worker want to go back to an office besides the obvious things such as that? Well, I, I think there's a few things. Um, I miss the office. Do I want to go back every single day? No, but I miss certain things about it. One, I miss being connected to the team. Um, 
and I think a lot of people didn't realize or, or take into account that, you know, being social animals, we actually got a lot of sociability from work and we're all kind of looking for that connection again. Um, I've gone back to the office now. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happily surprised it's, it continues to have more people, even though no one's required to be there, we all get together and um, it's really great to see people. And I think that um, that's the first thing is just that level of connection and the, the social aspect to it. I also think that um, at least in design, we want to be around other designers. We want to be able to kind of jam on things and, and it's not as easy to do that uh, in the remote world, right? We kind of, you got to put time, time aside for things and, oh, we're, you know, you can't just walk up to a whiteboard and jam on something and, you know, and spend 20 minutes and you walk away and it would have taken you two hours to do something. I think that's the other piece is like, there's no, you know, in this remote world, there's no getting a coffee. There's no walk to, you know, the water cooler talk, which is, you know, we've now put these, we've put these things in our, in our schedules. I need to talk about this thing. It's like a half hour chunk, right? Which is something you probably would have done walk into the water cooler having a coffee in five minutes, right? So it's like, how do we get more? So how do we become more efficient with our time? Um, so I think those are the things that people are looking for is they don't want to go back 100%, but they want to feel that they know the people they're working with. Uh, there is a connection. Uh, there is a place that they need to, you know, they, they, they need to spread out. They need to jam on things. There's opportunities to do that. Um, I think those are the things that are drawing people to, to the office, not necessarily, I need to be in there. As I, I said to my 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 uh, my partner, just I think it was yesterday. I said, I can't believe I was I used to do this job and have to commute two hours a day. Like, what was how I work so much? How do I actually where where was my time? How did I get anything done? Um, so it's just you know I think we're all having that that realization to some level, and um, yeah, I think that's why I think that's why people want to get back. So. Um you're saying people do want to get back to the office or just have that social connection. But, um, I mean, in my last job, I had, I had that social connection where like, you know, we all work together. We, the designers work the developers and the business unit, and it was easy to like have meetings and get things across. But, um, now that I work like at our remote only company, like, I feel like I don't need to have that collaboration at our company. I can have it outside of work, maybe at like, a coffee shop like still doing the work or maybe in the sun or even like outside of work and like a, a community meetup for like for tech events etc cetera, etc cetera. do you think um people are moving more towards that like as opposed to going to the office they are looking for more social aspects outside work it's a great question and i i wish i had a really definitive answer because i think the my answer is it actually depends um, if you have an office, like we, you know, we have offices all around the world and you can use them as you want. Um, so people that's an, you know, that's a normal place for people to kind of conjugate. Um, but if you don't have that, sure. It's uh, during the, you know, there was a whole period where the offices weren't open and we were going to other places. I met my teams in parks, right? We go have, we go have lunch in a park, um, or we, you know, go other places and, and, and try and connect that way. I, it depends. I think it's, you know, no one's saying you have to go back to the office. We're just all using it because we've got facilities. Um, there's, there's, there are, you know, whether we say that the perks are, are nice, you know, we like, we're there for the perks or not. They're there, right? You can use them. Um, but no one's saying you have to. So I, I think it really depends on the team, uh, 
what they're the, the work that they're they're trying to do the you know the, the people they're trying to connect with the facilities they have available and and then i think people are kind of just figuring it out as as they go um but i it's it's i think it's less about oh i need to be at the, you know it shouldn't be at the office it needs to be at you know a coffee shop give people like we're all adults give people the options let them choose the option that works for them but just make sure they have the the options available as they need what about um, the the classic uh, walk around management style? Like, how are you handling? Um, I, I feel like it, as ICs, it's fairly easy to easy <laughs> to collaborate remotely in the sense that you're working together directly on things. But as a manager, you getting that that walk around. Hey, how are things going? You can't do that um, now. So, how are you handling that? Yeah. I was never a walk around manager, so it's it's I'm super comfortable with so it. So you scoot like, around in a chair, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Um, I still, you know, it's for me, it's always been about getting together my 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 team, um, having the right the one on ones, finding out what's going on. Um, but you know, ultimately, it's I don't have that need to go kind of check in on people because I have trust, and you know, it takes time to build that trust, but. I've got a great set of leaders. I've been working with them for, for a long enough period of time that I, I know they know what's going on. Um, they're experts at their area, their domain. And so I don't feel that need. I, I'm really there. I feel like my job is more to be available to them, to help them. You know, either we're going to work on a big problem. Hey, come to me and let me know you want to work through something than, than about me checking up on stuff. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's much more, how do you empower your managers to do the to the best job they can and just be available to support them um, or support my partners. So yeah, I haven't had that inclination of, oh, I need to, I need to be checking up on work. What about office distractions? We want a better quality of life and to get things done with, without these office distractions. I know when I go in, I'm a chatterbox. I'm, I'm guilty of it. And I know a lot of my colleagues or previous colleagues, I could get to that later, were also chatterboxes, which is difficult. I get way more done at home. And we all want flex work, I believe. We all want to kind of stay at home and, and do what we do. And, and some of us want to go to the office, and that's fair as, as well. But some of us don't feel safe yet. And uh, so do you feel distraction or unsafe at the moment for these in certain times in an office environment? is a valid concern for some to most people or uh, how, how do we feel about that? Um, well, I'm going to go back to, I, I think you give people the options and let them take the ones that are most comfortable. We're not, I have no requirements that someone has to come into the office. So do what you feel is right for you, for your particular situation. Um, myself, I've spent, I, I've spent enough time in my office that I can't actually, I'm not nearly as effective as I'd like to be. I have too many distractions in here. Um, that's what happens when you surround yourself with your hobbies and you mix your hobbies and your work in the same room. And it's it's super easy to become, uh, oh, well, I'll pick this guitar up over here. I'll, you know, uh, when I go in the office, I can go heads down. That's the beauty of, because there's not a lot of people in the office. I just go find a corner, um, on a, you know, on a, on a floor that may only, there may be only two or three other people on that floor. And I can just go heads down, get my get the stuff done that I need. And that works for me. So I, the way I put it to my team is do what's going to work for you. If you don't feel comfortable coming to the office, don't come into the office. That's okay. We know we can do this stuff remotely. 
Um, wait until you feel comfortable with it. You may never feel comfortable with it. That's okay too. So I have a question related to more so like on the challenges of like um, scaling up the company in terms of like managing employees. Yeah. So what are some challenges you said, you said um, going from like 200 designers, for instance, to 500, like what challenges do you see there uh, in terms of managing um, that aspect? Yeah. Well, I think we've, so I've, I've certainly felt some of the challenges just going from that, you know, that 40 when I first got here to the 200 plus that we've got now. Um, the things that I think about the most are, do we have the right machinery in place to actually scale that up to get the, you know, are we, are we onboarding people correctly? Do they understand uh, how we do the, how we do design here? Um, are they getting the cultural aspects that are important and the, the design principles and, and, you know, have a, have a background or they, or, you know, we, we don't want to just drop them in the ocean and let them, you know, not tell them where to go or, you know, without a, without a life, life vest. Um, so putting the right machinery in place, that's the design operations. Um, I've built a design operations team uh, as part of platform that actually serves all of design uh, because this is one of the critical things you've got to put in place. Um, otherwise, you find yourself, you know, how, how else do you have an ability kind of the, the, the levers to move around when you need stuff getting done in the organization, making sure things are running, being run efficiently, um, making sure that you have the right training programs in place, right? How do you continue to uplevel people's skills um, and make sure that there's programs available? How do you think about the calibration of your team going from, you know, 40 people, you have a pretty good sense of who the who the star players are and, and who the supporters are and, and where we got it fits. 200 gets tougher and then it only gets harder from there. So what are the pieces that you put in place to make sure that you're having the right conversations? You have the right growth conversations for folks. People understand the trajectory, the profiles uh, for their particular level and, and what the expectations are. So doing all those things are super, super important. Um, those are the things I think about, because if you put those things in place, it actually becomes a lot easier to, you know, th those are the things you don't need to worry about. And now you need to think more of at the strategic level, what are you trying to accomplish? How do you put the right teams in place for some of these, uh, some of the challenges that the business has? And that, you know, that the, all putting all the other stuff in place frees you up to focus on the strategic side. Thank you, Frederick. Frederick unmuted me, everyone. That was very kind of, because um, I didn't get it in time. Um, so what about as far as what, in all all the buildup, is there any uh, mistakes or failures that you, you failed forward with, you know, learning from that would you think would benefit sharing with anyone? Um, God, I failed so many times. <laughs> <laughs> like there's so many. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the the one that really stood out for me at Alassian is I probably tried to move too fast. Um, and it was an interesting challenge. So when I got here, I only had about three, three months before the pandemic, you know, kind of took over. Um, and I really wanted to get a lot done. I saw a lot of opportunities, a lot of potential in the team. I just wanted to get a lot done. But I probably moved too fast. And I was just, you know, kind of came in and was a little bit of a bull in a china shop. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You know, looking back, I probably should have spent more time listening. And I thought I did. I listened for like a month. And I was like, okay, I know exactly what needs to happen. Like, here's what we're going to go do. And what I realized is I didn't take the proper amount of time to build that trust with my own, the, my own leaders 
uh, my, my own directs, the people I needed to really have on my side to implement some of these things. Um, and then I, then we went into, uh, then we went into a pandemic and I was like, well, how do you, how do you push some of these initiatives forward um, in this pandemic and this totally remote in, you know, this, this remote style of working now. And I probably pushed too hard there too. Cause I also probably didn't realize some of the bigger challenges that, you know, I was, I wanted to get a lot of stuff done, but we also had no view of like how long the horizon was going to be for, you know, us coming out of this. So I think that was the big thing is just like, listen more, try to do less um, initially. And, but you know, it's like, we're all ambitious, right? We all want to show up and, and be able to do grand things and, and make amazing things happen. And sometimes we lose sight of, you know, how, how best or effectively to do that. So that's the advice I give lots and lots of folks um, when they're kind of stepping into roles like this uh, and trying to figure it out. Um, I think there's a great book. I read it. I should have paid more attention to it, but it's uh, I think it's a Harvard Business Review book. It's like, the, I think it's called The First 90 Days, something like mm -hmm. that. Or, um, and I, I tell everybody, okay, if you're going to go in a new role, read that because it's just, even if you know everything, it's just such a great refresher and uh, of all the things you, you need to think about. And it talks about things at the strategic level, right? There's the tactical stuff, but how do you identify the right partners? How do you identify what's important to your partners? How do you gain the trust of your partners? All those kind of things that we, you know, we, we know, but we don't, they're hard to do. And so we probably spend less time on it. We kind of gloss over the things, you know, those things and, and move on to things we, we know how to do, implement the tactical stuff, right? Those are, the, those are easy. So taking a step back and, and, and understanding what the big picture is and, and what you're really trying to accomplish and, and how to do that uh, is really, really critical. It's interesting you're talking about roles. I have a statistic from Gartner here that says only 29% of global IT workers have a high intent to remain in their current roles. That's a survey of 18,000 employees that included uh, close to 2,000 who work in IT. Is this a good or bad thing for the future of how companies treat their employees? Yeah. Well, I'd love to know what's what's the timeline for that. Is it I'm gonna I'm, I'm moving on in a year? Is it I'm staying? You know, I won't be here for more than three years. If you look at the tech industry, at least here in Silicon Valley, people move pretty quickly, right? Two, you know, two, three, four years is kind of the standard across the industry. So, you know, people moving on isn't necessarily uh, surprising in, in some ways, but I think that it's probably sped up a lot. The, you know, the fact that you can interview and you do it all via Zoom and you can probably do an interview cycle in one or two days and you can do this with a lot of different companies and it's actually, you know, it brings down the amount of time and effort you need to, you need to take. Sure, you're gonna talk to a lot of companies. Um, a lot of folks, you know, I, I touched on this a little bit um, and I have no proof of this, but I, I, my, my, my theory is people are looking for any kind of change they can, they can have some control over, right? Especially after the last two years when we felt like we have no control over so much. Um, and so people want to make changes, right? And a lot of people think if I change my job, this is going to get better. And um, so I think there's some of that people are trying to um, make any kind of changes possible. And, and the grass is always going to be greener. I think that, uh, People are, are certainly starting to figure out what they're worth in, in the industry. And they're seeing, you know, I, why not? If it's easy for me to reach out or, or have these companies, I have so many companies in the super hot job market and they're all reaching out to me. Why wouldn't I talk to all of them and see, you know, what the what they're willing to pay me? Because everybody's, you know, getting their, their salaries bumped up. Um, 
but I think like, you know, so you're going to have that level of change. It's the question of like, what do you do to actually keep the people there? Um, how do you attract great talent and how do you keep great talent is, you know, the bigger question because there's always going to be attrition. There's always going to be people moving. So you can't, you can't worry about that as much as how do you keep the people that you have and make sure that you're growing them and you give them as many opportunities to have a long career where they're at as possible. So with um, the intent to stay in like the role, uh, it seems like salary ranges are going significantly like faster, I guess you could say in terms of like in previous years, for instance, like a senior front end react developer used to make like 80K or 90K, you know, in different cities across the US, but since COVID and it seems like it's the numbers have just gone much higher, much quicker. Um, and sometimes it feels like, you know, your annual bonus doesn't really account for that amount of inflation or increase in salary across the market. Um, what do you do there to retain employees that are looking to like make market rate again? Yeah. Um, well, I think you have to, you have to understand what the market actually is. Um, it jumps up and down, right? We've got all these people that, you know, to your point, it's, you know, a react developer somewhere. If they were in Ohio before they weren't making a ton of money. Now with remote work being, you know, the standard they're available, you know, like I said, team anywhere, we can pick up anyone. Um, and you're going to be paying a little bit more in like the Silicon Valley um, type type prices. I think at the end of the day, look, people are going to people are always going to be driven somewhat by money um, and people should get paid. Right. People have to eat. People have that. People have families. Uh, but I think it's also really important to bring it back to like, why are you, you know, is the work is the mission important? Is the team good? Uh, do you care about it? Um, you know, what are the other things that we're actually fulfilling outside of just money? Because the truth is, like, you can go make money anywhere. That's, you know, we all know that we can do that. Why are you at the particular place you're at? What's the fulfillment you're getting? Um, we've got to look for something that's a little bit more tangible than just I'm going to make, you know, X amount of money. But, you know, what is the actual return on my time outside the financial side? So I think that's the thing we got to be looking at, not just, you know, can we keep up with the price, you know, the, 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 the market? The market's going to go crazy regardless. So you have to have a little more grounding to it than you're just going to make a bunch of money. It's something I've, I've wondered out about for a while now is that that chase for a golden ticket. We see so many people in the industry in tech design, whether it's design development, just bouncing around every year. Uh, I always wonder how they, they get a grasp of the company enough to know that they want to leave it. Uh, how do How do we shape the newer generations to to maybe look look closer where they're working and see hey maybe this is a place i should settle not settle settles the wrong word <laughs> uh, make a settle. home i guess settle yeah settle has the connotation of i'm settling you, you know settling you know, into settle in yeah, yeah, settle in settling in yeah, um, yeah. get yeah, a blanket well, tuck in yeah again it goes back to why are you doing your work i think you have to um there has to be the mission or the purpose has to be the team. Um, there's always, you know, they're always the financial drivers that people are going to, some people are going to have that. Um, some people are chasing titles and um, you know, I think what you, what you have is hopefully people start to figure out what they want, what's really important to them. Um, and they're looking for, you know, something other than, Hey, I'm just going to get paid. I care about 
the thing I'm working on. That's how you, you know, and, and, and culture too. And I think that's a super hard thing right now in remote is like, how do you really establish a great company culture uh, without people really being able to come together and um, really understand, you know, the particular culture a company may have created um, prior to the pandemic? Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's going to be different for everybody. But it's I, I, my, my advice to people is like, figure out what's really, really important to you and, and seek that out. Um, and hopefully it's not just the financial side. In, in the bigger picture, hiring and retention concerns will intensify as companies plan their remote uh, or their return to work, rather, their, their strategy. And the, the HR and benefits undergoing massive changes to accommodate these new realities. Um, and yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, what do you think these new realities may look like? Like, what kind of things can these companies do to uh, bring people back into the office? Um, yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> there's a ton of conversation we're, we're having, you know, exactly on this. Like, what do we actually do? What do we actually offer? Um, I touched on it before. You know, we got pushed ten years ahead than where we were actually supposed to be. So I think we're still trying to catch up and figure out what, you know, what all these different pieces are. I don't think it's through mandatory blanket statements of everybody has to do X. Um, if we've seen anything, you know, in this pandemic and, and um, some of the, the, the trends we're seeing emerging is, you know, there's much more individualism that people have, have created. It's more the, you know, this idea of this, you know, me over we. And um, so how do you give space to that? How do you, um, give more flexibility so people can feel like they can bring more of their authenticity or their authentic self to this um, and to the company. And, and I think that people have an expectation of, uh, you know, now that we've had this crossover of professional and personal life, you, you know, you're seeing in my house, um, we see all the stuff, you, you know, in, in cases we've got, you know, kids coming in the back, like there's no, there's no more just my work, uh, my work life. It's all connected. So being able to give more space to that, um, is going to be super important and just, you know, making people feel like they're, they can, you know, they're in a, they're in a safe environment. They're taken care of. They're appreciated. They're connected, but they're also supported. Um, I, and, and so I don't know what the exact uh, things are going to be as we, you know, as we talk through them, but I think those are the, the core principles that I think we're trying to establish of how do we, how do we go about doing this and what's really going to matter in the long run. It's really going to be interesting to see where that goes. Well, Zach, we're we're getting close to the end, and I really want to have an opportunity to talk to you about roomtoread.org. Uh, it's a really great charity that's all about empowering uh, and uh, young people and educating. And I, I know you believe in this cause, and I believe Atlassian is also advocating this cause. Can you tell us all about it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Room to Read... I found out about this organization. One of the things that Atlassian that we we push is um, foundation promotion, or I'm sorry, um, charity and foundation time. So I I believe it's five days a year we're we're given to go work on charities um, that we find important and it's you know paid. Um, we're also part of the one percent uh, give back pledge. Um, one of the first, and so I was uh, when I joined Atlassian. I think the first day they said, here, here's a, here's a charity that we are part of. Um, most Atlassians donate to it. It's like a dollar a day, but room to read is, is really about um, empowering and building, uh, building 
youth through literacy, world literacy, right? It's like the one thing, like how, I think there's like 700 million plus people actually aren't literate. Um, and this particular charity uh, played, you know, really resonated for me because it's also, it's also about gender equality. And I'm a father of two girls. And so, you know, the fact that they're focusing on that and really about giving women greater opportunities and empowerment through literacy is, you know, that, that to me is super, super important. And it's just, you know, that was like a really easy connection. Of course, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sign me up. And like I said, most Atlassians uh, are part of this as well. So um, it's a, it's a really good charity. I think people should, should check it out because they're doing great work. And how does that work as far, are you all just doing a, um, a blanket payroll deduction with that? How did you yeah. partner with them in the first place? Um, one of our, I don't know exactly who in the organization um, brought them in. One of the great things about Lassie is there's lots of causes, people champion stuff. And so we have a whole, whole, um, whole group that just talks about foundation work. And right now we're focusing on the environment. Um, there's a bunch of stuff like, I think this is, this is environmental week. So there's a bunch of environmental causes and um, coming through and, and doing um, doing sessions with our teams. But, yeah, it was super easy. They, it was like the first day they're like, here's our foundation. And if you want to, you know, click the box, if you want to donate a dollar out of your paycheck a day to this to this cause. And this, you know, will pay for X amount of folks in um, and you, you can pick. I believe I'm donating to Bangladesh. So you can pick places all around the world, but like where your money goes. Um, so, yeah, I was just. It, it, it certainly someone brought in well before I, I joined Alassie and it's incredibly well run and, and they just make it really easy. And it's such a small thing. Like, you know, we're all, I think I, I just, I can't believe where I'm at. I can't believe how lucky I am and all the things that I've been able to do and experience. And, and so just being able to give back is, is super important. Yeah, this is awesome. I've been, I'm looking at room to read.org and I'm, looking through it and they seem to do a lot of great stuff. Um, I also run like a tech community and I'm trying to help people get jobs um, in my like local area. Not exactly related though, but I don't know. I think it's cool. I don't have anything else to say though. I'd, I'd love to hear about what you're trying to do. Um, so I just, I'll just be quick about it, but I run a software development group called Tampa devs. Um, it's just trying to get people in the area, whether it's students or professionals, to, to kind of connect up to jobs and opportunities and uh, learning learning experiences within the local area. Um, kind of just how I started off development. I got a lot of help along the way, and I'm just paving it forward. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I think you talk to so many folks, um, myself included, we wouldn't be here if we didn't, you know, other people hadn't done favors for us, paved the way, um, and just been really gracious with their time and, and, or whatever else they were willing to, to, to help you with. So, um, yeah, that sounds like a really important cause and, and anything we can do to get people, you know, more people into the industry and learning early on. And, um, yeah, it's good for everyone. Yeah, I, yeah, it, opportunities is definitely the the greatest path into any job. Which, which speaking of opportunity, I think think I'm gonna take this opportunity to point out. I think I saw in Vincent outside Vincent's window there. There's a little bit of lightning out there. 
<laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so this is always this is our lightning round. So uh, what we'll do is we each ask you a question in sequence. It's kind of at the end of our show thing, um, and uh, it's rapid rapid fire. Uh, my my, uh, I'll go first. My first question is: uh, So did your parents say "I told you so" when you ended up working in design? Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were worried. I, I really think my, yeah, I think my dad was worried that uh, it was going to be a challenge. So if you had to pick one superpower, would it be teleportation or flying? Oh, teleportation for sure. Cause I can how much quicker you have to fly somewhere that still takes time and energy teleportation, go anywhere. But it's, ex, it's the experience though. Like you get to fly in the air and you get to soar through the skies. Teleport, you're just there. <laughs> I just want to get there. All right. Zach, if you couldn't touch a computer for the rest of your life, what would you be doing professionally? Great question. I'd build guitars. Oh, nice. Sweet. Okay, my ridiculous question that I love asking uh, now. So you're expecting a super important phone call from a friend or family member. I don't know. Maybe uh, it's a birth or who knows what it is. Um, your phone rings, but you've been eating like Cheetos or wings and both your hands are just coated and stuff. What do you do? Do you answer the phone immediately? Wipe your hands? How, what, what, what happens? Well, it depends if, I, if it's a really important phone call. I probably, you know... I probably have to wipe my hands. Uh, I don't think I'm going to answer that. But nothing, nothing, unless, yeah, nothing could be that important. <laughs> so, if you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, which food would it be? Sushi. I love that. I love me some sushi. Zach, uh, what is your favorite quality about yourself? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, resilience. Love it. So uh, what was the last movie that you watched that just truly made you laugh? Ooh. I haven't watched a lot of movies. I haven't, I haven't watched a lot of funny movies lately. Um, I don't know if this is funny, but I just watched... Uh, like last week I, I rewatched the hateful eight and I think there's some really, mm -hmm. uh, there are some really funny scenes in that. It's dark though. <laughs> it's super dark. So we're talking about all the, all the, uh, responsibilities of, you know, running a big, running a big company, right. Or just managing a lot of people. But if you had to pick, you know, your next vacation destination, uh, where would it be and why? Mm, vacation. Um, well, I love skiing. So I try to get, unfortunately, there's no snow right now because we're kind of at the end of the season, but I'd find snow somewhere. And uh, yeah, go, go spend some time uh, on the slopes. Awesome. Zach, what's your favorite professional resource to go to to find things out? Mm, my favorite professional resource. Um, well, I think it's, you know, it, it, I don't know if I would call it professional, but I spent a lot of time doing Google searches, right? Um, otherwise I'd say I spend time on LinkedIn. Like that seems to be a pretty good, good, good thing to peruse. 
um, just to get a kind of a sense of what's going on. But yeah, I, it's more about, I have an idea, it pops in my head and I stick it in this, the, the search box. And then I, that, that's kind of how I get my, my stuff. You have the power to make one, just one childhood fairy tale true. What would you choose and why? Oh, you guys are coming up with some good ones. Childhood fairy tale. Um, I think it'd be kind of fun to be one of the three little pigs, at least the one that like built the, the brick house. That'd be a fun <laughs> little fairy tale to be part of. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who built the hay one, but certainly no. the one who built the brick houses. You know. Okay, question. What would be the first thing you do if you won the lottery today? I call my lawyer. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that'd be the very first thing I do. Well said. Zach, what is your favorite Studio Ghibli movie? Uh, for mine, it's obviously when Marnie was there, but what's yours? Studio Ghibli? Mm-hmm. I, 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 that's, I'm not familiar with what do you mean, Studio Ghibli. You know, the movies like um, you know, Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, I know you're talking about. Howl's gonna, Moving Castle. Yeah, you're going to be shocked. I don't know those. Quite all right. Hey, not everyone watches the same things. Um, and that's why I posed it. But now I'm going to have to, you know what I'm going to do right after this? I'm going to go and do a Google search. What? <laughs> yeah, I, my favorite is Kiki's. I, that's the one I'd personally recommend. So what's, what's one pet peeve of yours that you wish that you could just completely make go away because you hate it and it makes your life just not enjoyable at all? Uh, my pet peeve? Oh. Laziness. It's fair. What's your favorite way to wind down after the day? After your work is done? Um, ooh, that's a good one. Usually it's, uh, it's probably like a glass of bourbon and a guitar. Oh, nice. Nice. I like that. It's very apropos because as soon as we get to the end, Vincent's going to actually play us off in his guitar. So <laughs> last uh, last question, at least for me here, Zach, uh, what podcast are you listening to just to relax, just for fun? Ooh, well, I've been listening to uh, Finding Our Way. I don't know if you guys have listened to that. Um, Kittle Hazerhurst and um, Jesse James Garrett. That one, I I know it's kind of more business related, but I still listen to that for it's that is fun because man, there's so many things I relate to. I listen to them like, yep, they totally get what I'm going through. Um, that's a good one. I also like uh, No Guitar is Safe, which is um, mm -hmm. a really awesome podcast. It's kind of, it's by um, this guy, uh, Jude Gold. He um, He's an editor for Guitar Player Magazine, I believe. And he just goes and he interviews like all the really killer guitarists. And they talk about their process. It's like, here's the thing I was doing when I, you know, here's how I wrote this song or here's how I thought about this. And, and you just hear the breakdown and the thought behind it and how they how they approach some of these things and um, some of these iconic songs that we hear. And that one I just I find fascinating. I, I think the whole creative process of, uh, you know, musicians, artists, photographers, whatever. I, I just I find the whole process really, really interesting and inspiring. Love it. Well, we're we're at the end, I believe, at the of the lightning round. But traditionally, Brian has 
One more thing for us, Brian. Yeah, yeah. It was well, why? Why does Count? Why is Count Dracula a terrible project manager? Because he but, avoids the stakeholders. <laughs> Not that. Bad. I like it. That's good. <laughs> Very nice. Zach, uh, two last questions here. What are the best ways people could find out more about you? Where do they go? Where do you sure. want them to visit? Um, you can hit me up on Twitter at, at Zach G with a, with a K. The C is silent. Um, you can also hit me up on Instagram at Zach G. I'm original. And uh, I can also ping me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And it looks like we have a comment from someone here that just wrote, boo. Um, I believe they were looking for a particular comment that we normally make, a question that did not get asked. We'll, we'll have that oh. for you next time, Daniel oh. King. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, d Brian? I think you should ask it. <laughs> okay, for Daniel, I'll ask it. Daniel, here, I'll, I'll put your comment back up here. <laughs> Zach, let me ask the question. Zach, you come home late at night. It's pitch black. All the power's out. It's been raiding cats and dogs. You open the door, and the first thing you see is a ghost. What do you do? Wow, what's the first thing I do? Um, I guess it depends on how, if it, is it, is it Casper or is it, is it Slimer or is it something, uh, something scary, it's something scary. It's scary. You know, I, I close the door and I walk back, back out of my house and, uh, I come back when the power is on and the light is, it's daylight. And, uh, yeah. And hopefully I'm bringing, bringing, uh, Bill Murray with me. <laughs> <laughs> he's, right. he's a good one to have in that event. Thank you so yeah. much for that. Appreciate it. Uh, so at, we're at the end here, and I would like to ask you if you could provide some closing words of wisdom for our audience, Zach. Deep sure. and meaningful. Something meaningful. Um, I think the first <laughs> is, uh, you know, really do it for the journey, not the destination. And what I mean by that is too many people focus on I'm going to be X when I, you know, I need to be this thing by the time I get to this stage or this age. And that's totally the wrong thing. If you set out with that in mind or just that, that goal, you know, you very well, you very well may accomplish that, but it's going to be, you're going to not know what to do next. Whereas if you focus on the journey and just how do I put myself in a position where I have an opportunity to learn and always think about like, if you're going to do something, you should feel a little nervous about it. There should be, you know, a little anxiety. Um, how can I pull this thing off? That's going to put you in the best place to learn and get better. And you'll end up where you're supposed to end up. You'll probably end up at that destination that you want. But if you set out in the first, you know, trying to do it um, the opposite way, you're probably, you know, that's why a lot of people, I believe, have midlife crisis because they accomplish this thing. They've been super motivated and do all this stuff. And then they get there and like, well, so what? What did it mean? And they forgot that it's all actually all about the journey and the, the you know, how you grow over time. Um, I think it's really important, especially for more junior designers. Uh, I always say, you got to learn how to say no. In fact, I think that's one of the things that separates a, a, you know, a designer from a senior designer is that ability to say no, right? You've got to prioritize too many people want to do it all. Like I'm, yeah, I'll just do You need me to do that. I'll do that. And you do it at a, you know, you kind of peanut butter yourself across stuff. You don't deliver at a high quality. You, you know, there's, you, you pay less attention to your craft. You prioritize and say no, like rigorously prioritize. 
and you'll 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 deliver on the things that you're actually supposed to deliver on instead of trying to just do it all. Um, and I think that uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say is just you know good work solves all problems, and uh, that's a saying I like to tell all of my teams. Don't worry about the promo. I need to do this to do this thing. I do the work. If you deliver awesome work that solves problems and your customers are happy and you know it's great work you've done, you know you've done the exploration. You're delivering great value. People are going to notice. It will take care of all the other problems. Don't worry about the promo. You'll get it. The work is awesome. It will all work out. But if you flip it around and you focus on the other stuff that's less important, you know. You're, you're missing out and you may not, you'll end up with disappointment. Focus on the work, make it awesome, right? That's the manifestation of yourself in your work. Make it great. Excellent, uh, Zach, for, for sharing your your time and your insight with us. I, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, thank you so much. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah, Zach, thanks for spending the evening with us a little bit time is uh, i always say time is the most valuable thing we have and you uh chose to spend it with us so thanks yeah thank you for your time zach um i can relate to the journey not the destination like getting the first development job was all i thought about then i got there and it's like what now <laughs> yeah well thanks so much for having me guys it's been really fun uh, the lightning round was not expecting that so that was you know i like how you guys threw it, it curve at me uh, curveball. That was good. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. It's a really fun conversation. Appreciate you having me. Zach Gottlieb. Zach, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And thanks everybody out there for watching. We'll catch you next time. Thanks all.